Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. One of the biggest challenges I think we face today in our culture is how can we meaningfully come together and be unified around almost anything? You've probably seen this, you've experienced with your friends, with your family. Talk about your voting preferences to your dad and see if you guys can get unified on that. Talk about your views on LGBT issues to your sister and see if you guys come together in unity on that. Give some opinions to your mother-in-law about COVID and see where that goes for you. Like, do you really come together? Do you, do you have this stronger sense of unity after you start talking about all these issues? My experience has been it's not, not great. It's hard to come together with, with, and be unified with people who have diverse opinions. And, and I'm just talking about in your own family, right? It's hard to be unified with your own family members, the people you share flesh and blood and DNA with, you can't even get it together. Never mind all the people at work or at church or at school, right? How, how, do, we, how do we unify and have any sense of unity and commonality and camaraderie and all these things? How do we have that with people when there's such diverse opinions on just about everything? This is important for us because as, Amer- as Americans, we're supposed to like come together as a country, you know, and, and be unified around flags and, I don't know, freedom and, and Coca-Cola or something. I don't know. We're, we're supposed to have this thing baked into us that we hold these truths to be self-evident. This, this, these ideas, these ideals from our culture that say like, yeah, we all hold this stuff together. We think it's self-evident. We believe this same shared group of beliefs and therefore we're going to unify around these things. But as I look around, I don't see a whole lot of common understanding as a culture, as a country. I don't see a lot of common understanding anymore about where we are, uh, where we came from, um, and, and, and where we're going. Um, I, I don't know about you. I'm not seeing a lot of unity these days. I see a lot of polarization. I see a lot of disaggregation. I see a lot of tribalism. I see a lot of people going off into their own, own corners to defend their territory. There's a lot of that stuff going on in, in, our, in our culture, um, and, it, and it's difficult. I was listening to something on NPR the other day. See, right there, right off the bat. Because some of you right now are like, I knew he was liberal. I just knew it. I knew, I figured that guy listens to NPR, right? And then some of you are like, oh, NPR is like an island of sanity and a sea of crazy, right? Like, so, fine, all right, whatever, judge, that's fine. I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking about some groups in America, I'm not going to say which ones, but just some different stuff that's kind of popped up in culture or whatever. And they referred to the groups as fringe groups, or fringe groups. I'm like, oh, fringe, okay, here's the thing. This is my reaction to it. Not about what the particular groups they were saying are fringe, but the reaction to calling something fringe, I thought of two things. Number one, I'm a follower of Jesus. Historically, that has been on the fringe. And at times in this country, that has also been on the fringe. And I would argue that in a lot of ways, that is increasingly on the fringe of America. So when you start talking about fringe groups, 
I don't think, yeah, those wackos. I kind of think, oh, these might be my people. Because fringe means outside the center, right? It's on the edges. And Christianity actually flourishes best on the edges and maybe not always you know, politically in the center, right? So when you say fringe groups, I'm like, I'm a Jesus follower, that's fringe, cool. It's a fringe group, right? But the second thing I think of is fringe only makes sense as a term if we have a meaningful agreed-upon definition of what belongs in the center. And I don't think we have it in, in America, at least not much anymore. We don't have a, this is the center, therefore this is the fringe. We have a lot of arguments about what the center is. And truthfully, if you go back and look at you know, all your Alexander Hamiltons and all these people who um, you know, argued about this stuff and then wrote musicals in their free time, uh, we've, we've always disagreed about what the center is. And, and, and we've tried to hold it together of like, we're just a big umbrella for a bunch of different groups to come together. Um, and we've tried to do this unity experiment. And it's really difficult because we don't have agreed upon values of where we came from or what our history is. We don't agree upon that. We don't agree upon what is happening and is it good or bad in the present. And we don't have an agreed upon vision of our future and flourishing. So it's really hard to get unified about that. My concern, though, is not for America. That's not like the, the thing for me. Uh, and churches that get all about America scare me. My concern is about the church, the people who are Jesus followers, because we, as Jesus followers, trying to know God, love God, follow him, we should have commonality. We should have unity. We should be able to come together and rally around him, around Jesus, around trying to be his disciple, around loving God, loving people, and, and serving the world. Like We should be able to rally around that and, and come together in unity. And yet, when I look at the church in America, there's not a, a ton of unity there. We're, we're not coming together. There's some serious challenges. So we're going to start a new series today, and we're calling it Barely Holding It Together. And when we came up with that title, it, it, kind, of, it kind of works on two levels. One, um, a, lot of us feel like we are, a lot of us feel like we are barely holding it together, uh, just uh, mental health and challenges. And so we'll, we'll get into some of those things around um, how we can be healthy sort of individually. But also I want to talk about the church and, and how we as a, as, a, as a group can function more like a group and, and really... Um, and be there for each other and serve each other well and, and, and work well together with a unified mission. And so to do that, we're going to go into the book of 1 Corinthians. I told you last week that this was coming. Um, we're going to study through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is 16 chapters. We're basically studying for the rest of the year with a few breaks. We're going to do some stuff with Daniel later and some other stuff. But mostly for the rest of the year, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians. So we're going to read through a book of the Bible. If it has been your goal to ever read the Bible or read a book of the Bible, you will get it. If you stick with us here, we are going to go through it and, and dive into it. And I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. And it's really relevant because as I read about the church in Corinth, which is the city that the church, the letter was written to, the 1 Corinthians, as I read about the church in Corinth, I see an unbelievable amount of parallels between that church in that culture and the American church today. They're blowing apart as well. They're having disunity. They're having challenges. They have all of the, the wild sort of... Um, relational and sexual and uh, philosophical things that are different. There's just all the struggles of money and, and greed and just all the things are going on in Corinth. And as we read what God says to those people through Paul, we can see what it, what it says to us also um, here. And, and so I, I hope as we read this, you find this to be very thoughtful 
uh, meaningful, relevant, helpful. I hope it actually connects to the life that you're living in your job and in, in your world as you kind of go from, from the day to day. To, to help you with this, we have uh, some copies of, of the book of 1 Corinthians just as a single book, like a booklet kind of thing. And we have them for you when you leave today. If you go by the Next Steps table, if you would give a $5 donation, that would be awesome. But we ordered up a bunch of these books. We want to make sure they're in everybody's hands. Um, and and they're just, it's just the book of 1 Corinthians printed out. Um, and it has, one of them has a dot journal that goes along with each page, or the other one has a line journal, whatever you like. I've been using this myself for the past couple weeks to get ready for this, and I love it. I love marking it all up. I love being able to just read a little section and just go, I'm just going to write out some thoughts here. Oh, that's kind of weird, and I have a question about that, and sort of write that out. Um, We will give you a reading plan this week to follow along with us so that you can follow along with us for the rest of the year. And and so when we're done today, stop by the Next Steps table to pick up a copy of of 1 Corinthians. All right, I want to dive into it. We're going to, like I said, we're going to be in it for the rest of the year, Um, and there's just so much good stuff in there. Let's, let's, Let's go and, and get into it. First Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, starts with Paul identifying himself. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, a couple things. Um, Paul visits uh, the city of Corinth in about 51 AD, and he lives there. This is recorded in the book of Acts. He lives there for about 18 months and establishes a church. From amongst the people there, he starts a faith community that follows after Jesus. He works with them for about 18 years, and then he leaves them and goes on to do other things and leaves leadership in place. Well, he gets some word back that things are not going incredibly well and that they're having a hard time keeping it together in Corinth. And so he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians to them and then eventually 2 Corinthians. He writes these letters to them in about 54 AD, so it's about a year or two after he left there. And, and he's writing to correct them and to challenge them and to say, like, guys, you, you got to work on this, and I'm hearing these things about you. And so a lot of what we will read in here is his response back to the church that's kind of struggling and, and, and blowing apart. So he identifies himself, as, as you do in the ancient world with these letters, you identify yourself first. He identifies himself, says, it's God's will that I'm in this position. And he says, our brother Sosthenes. So there's a guy making an assist on the writing of this letter named Sosthenes. Um, and then he addresses it to the church, and he refers to them, and this is what I want get, to get to. He refers to them as those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Okay, first of all, he says, um, he refers to the Christians in Corinth as sanctified. Sanctified is a very religious word. Uh, you almost never hear it outside of a church context. But sanctified is the process, and sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit works in our lives to change us from the inside out. So you get saved, you come to Christ, you get baptized into him, you make a confession of faith, you join the body, the family of God, you come to Jesus, and then over time you are sanctified. You become better than you were. You, 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 you grow. You, you grow in your faith and your knowledge and your wisdom. Um, you, you, you start to see your life change by the sanctification process. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and starts pointing things out in your life and saying, hey, you might want to change this, hey. And, and so if, as, you, as you are sanctified, you might you know, stop abusing alcohol or abusing people or you might cuss less or you might you know, just 
stuff starts to happen in your life that you change and you become, and, and, and you've seen this, you've probably seen people who have not been sanctified, they've been Christians for decades and they're still a jerk, right? But you've also seen people that, oh man, this was like a radical life alteration for this person. They've become a follower of Jesus and they're, and they're changing. So Paul says you are sanctified, and then he says um, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, that's you guys, right? Called to be saints together. Um, this is the interesting phrase, and, and this is kind of my, my, my first idea here. We are called to be saints together. Now, saints is not, uh, if you grew up Catholic, you think of saints in a very, like, St. Anthony and St. Mark and St., like, it becomes this very holy other category of people who performed a certain amount of miracles and all this kind of thing. In the New Testament, when you're talking about saints, you're just talking about Jesus' followers, Christians. They're called saints. Um, that's, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint, I know no one would be like, no one call me a saint, ha, 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 you know, like, I get it. But this is what we're called. We're called to be saints. And he says, but what I want you to catch is, we are called to be saints together. So he said, we are called to be saints together. God is working not just in your life individually, in your heart, in your mind. He's working in the body here. He's, he's, we are called to do something um, with our faith together. Um, we're supposed to live out our faith in community. And I think this is a big deal because it strikes at the very heart of American individualism. We have this notion in America of the rugged individual, the, the sort of the, it's, it's sort of the Marlboro man idea of like, you're, you know, Americans, we're gonna like go off by ourselves on a horse. I don't know, there's always a horse, I don't know why. On a horse, and there's a mountain backdrop and we're going to explore, and we're just going to be our own people. And some of you are like, I don't like horses. I don't, I'm a beach person, not a mountain person. It doesn't matter. It's still baked into the American ideal of we are free. I'm going to have my own land. I'm going to be my own person, and I am going to just handle me. And it is very hard to unify with other people who think that coming together is basically a weakness, Right? Well, I'm going to be strong. Strong equals I'm by myself and I can handle it. We value that kind of stuff, the solo, the solo person, or this lone ranger mentality that we have in our culture. We value that. And it's difficult to unify with people who think um, coming together is, is a weakness when you need people. Like if I need other people, it's weak. I, I think it, it, generally, I think women are better at, at, at coming together in community, in, in reaching out to one another and, and not viewing their need for one another as weakness but as normal and healthy. I think men struggle more with the idea of um, I need you, I need someone, I need anyone. We, 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 we struggle a lot more than that. We, we, we think, man, I don't, I don't need you. I'm, I'm strong. This is the way I was taught. I was taught to handle my business by myself. I'm handling my business. This is the way men were taught. This is the way we grew up. And if you need someone's help, you don't need help. I don't need to ask you for anything. I'm not going to borrow your car. I'm not going to borrow your money. I'm not going to do anything where you, I'm put out like I'm putting you out. No, look, I will handle it myself. I'm not even going to ask for directions. I got this, right? This is what we do as men, right? We, we handle it ourselves. And, and honestly, as I look around with male friendships that I have and just other guys that I know, uh, we are paying the price for it. This is why... Uh, men drink. This is why men get abusive. This is why the, all sorts of 
downstream sins come out of what we call toxic masculinity because we've created a culture where we've told men, suck it up, don't have problems, and if you do, don't ask for help, don't talk to anybody, and there's a whole bunch of bad outcomes that come for men um, because, because we've, we've done this. And so how are men going to lead the charge for unity? How would we do that when we don't even think we should have friends? Like, we are so isolated. And, and I, uh, if you saw, I did a video before Easter. It was just a short video, and I, and I had talked about, uh, we put it out online, and I had talked about, um, I had talked to my city councilwoman who walked through my neighborhood going door to door to run for, run for office. And, and I asked her, what did you see in my neighborhood? And she said, um, Chris, there's an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. I was like, oh, wow. You know, I, I said that on the video. If you saw that video, I, I talked about that. But here's the part I didn't tell you. I went on, on and I asked her, who's lonely? Like, who's the most lonely people you see out there? And she said, number one, the elderly. She said, I, I sat on the porch and talked to people who hadn't spoken to another human in three weeks. Secondly, men are lonely. And, um, you know, you can argue that, and we can all talk about the root cause of that. Um, it, it strikes me as very true. We are isolated. And so when Paul calls the church to be saints together, you can't miss the together part. It's not, we're not supposed to be solo Christians with our own personal Jesus, thanks to Pesh Mode. No. We are called to be in this thing together. And this has been challenging, honestly, for the church in America and around the world over the last year to be together because we have experienced a culture for the last year that sort of not only are we rugged individuals, but everyone else is breathing poisonous air that will kill you. It's tricky to come together in that context, right? Um, and this is a challenge. So the church moved a lot of things online, and there's a lot of value to that, and there's a lot of great things that have come of that, and I'm, and I'm glad uh, for, for some of that. But it's a challenge because the church is a community to be experienced and to belong to. It is not content to be consumed. It's, it's not what it is. Um, and, and, and so uh, I have seen... Um, uh, and, and developed a, a, a frustration with people who have walked away from the church. Uh, not just here, but just like all over the country. I've talked to friends and I, I see it going on. And people are leaving the, the community and they're saying, I don't need other Christians. I don't need the church to follow Jesus. I'll just stick with Jesus and that's fine. And I'm just going to do that on my own. The problem is the church is Jesus' idea. It's actually called the bride of Christ. So if we're going to extend the bride of Christ analogy, if Jesus is the groom and the church the body is the bride of Christ, then what you're saying is, I'm in on the groom, I just don't really care for the bride. That's just not gonna fly, is it? You come to me and be like, Chris, I think you're so wonderful, I really don't like your wife. Cool, we're probably not gonna be friends. Right? Like, that's not how it works. And so, we can't say, I'm in on Jesus. Well, if you're in on Jesus, then you're in on the things Jesus was in on, and he was in on the church. Failed, flawed, messed up, broken, full of broken people. That's the community of faith. That's the bride of Christ, and, and, and we, we need it. Um, look, I'm, I'm totally aware that the church is flawed. I read an article the other day, 15 reasons why people are leaving the church. I get it. I understand why those are. I related to some of those things. Um, I'm, I'm keenly aware 
that the church is flawed because I'm a leader in the church and I am flawed. I am keenly aware, this is uncomfortable, okay? I'm keenly aware of how my own flaws and shortcomings have hurt this church in 12 years that we've been around. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, and, it, and it's hard. You know, Area 10, we planted this church in 2008. And if you take over as a pastor of a church and stuff's a mess, the church is a mess, you can always blame the guy who was there before you. Be like, well, my predecessor, the, the people who, who were pastoring this church before there, it's the mess. But when you plant it, you got nobody to blame but yourself. It's like, yeah, it's pretty dysfunctional. <laughs> Guess why? <laughs> you know, like, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, and so I'm, I'm not going to say, uh, I mean, but, but the truth is, even though there, there's shortcomings and, and no church is perfect, I'm not going to sit here and say that the church is awful or this church is awful. And I'm not just saying that to you because I'm a pastor or a minister in this church. I'm going to say it to you because I'm a Christian. As a Christian, I can't just sit there and go, the bride is terrible. Because it isn't. The bride's not terrible. As a Christian, I'm called to be a follower of Jesus together with the other saints. It's not solo. My faith is communal. Um, and, and, and I guess I'm, you may be wondering, like, why, though? Like, why, do we, why, why would the church need to be communal? Why can't we just have a personal faith with Jesus and just call it good? Um, and, I, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I, I think one of them is that the communal aspect of it strikes back and challenges us and challenges us in our culture. America is almost drunk on individualism. It is uh, baked into our music, it's into the movies that we, the stories that we tell, it's in our education system, and in our individualism, in our desire to be that, that solo person, the free will, I make my own choices, in our desire to do that, um, we, we, uh, we end up wanting to decide for ourselves what is right for us at all times on every single thing. It's, it's, it's more than just what do you want to have for dinner. It's what do you want to be in every single way. I mean, we are, we are literally living in a culture where we are deciding uh, things like our gender or, or pronouns, all that kind of stuff. Like we are bending the English language in order to fit our individualistic preferences. This is what we're doing as a society. It is way farther out in this culture in America than in, in, in any other culture probably in the world. Some are, some are competing with us for how crazy this can go, but, but, but we're, we're way far out there, and, and, and there's, it, it, it's wild to see what's going on. And so uh, I think that that individualism streak ends pretty badly historically um, because it's got a problem. The problem is that when, when we go hyper-individualistic like we do in this culture, um, we make it about us. And so I make me the center of all of the world, and it's all about my preferences and my choices. And that ends badly for me because I will end up being ruled by my stomach and my, my desires um, I will become enslaved to my own desires when I make everything about me. It's bad for me. It's also bad for society because when I'm enslaved by my desires, when I make life about me, it's not necessarily always good for you. You're in my way. You stand in the way of my free expression of me doing whatever the heck I feel like. So it's not good for me, the, the hyper-individualism. It's not even good for society. It's hard to come together. It's hard to be unified. I, I think um, this makes me think of uh, Rocket Raccoon, from Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'm sure is what you thought of. 
uh, when, I, when I mentioned this. Uh, I remember uh, a scene at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, which uh, is not in my top five Marvel. We can talk about that later, but it's not for me. But I did love this scene. Um, there's a scene at the end of, of the movie where uh, Rocket Raccoon, who's basically a criminal and a thief and all that, um, is told, like, all right, you have to, like, live as a good person and, and, and follow the laws. And um, he says to this, like, cop kind of guy who's talking to him, he says, uh, a question, what if I see something that I want to take and it belongs to someone else? And the guy says, then you will be arrested. But what if I want it more than the other person who has it? Still illegal. That doesn't follow. No, I want it more, sir. Do you understand me? You know, this is where he goes, and I, and, I, and I think that's individualism played out. No, what if you have it? I don't care. I want it more. And what matters most is, is me and my choices. Um, and that's, that's not good. It doesn't end well. Paul tells the church in Corinth, stick together. Don't just have the personal Jesus. We have to have a corporate expression of our faith. Let me continue on reading uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Start, let's continue on verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, to whom you were called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, if you just take those five or six verses and and put them together, the thing that you will notice as you read through them is how often Jesus is mentioned. Jesus is practically in every verse. Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. and, And you start to get the idea that Jesus is the glue that brings us together. If we want unity, if we want to stick together, we need the glue, and he is the glue. He is the thing that holds it all together. It says he, he will make us guiltless. He's going to enrich us with knowledge and power. Uh, he will sustain us. Like Paul is pointing at the beginning of this letter and saying all of it holds in Christ. He, he is holding the universe together. He is what brought all of us uh, together. He gives us his grace, um, and, and, and he brings unity. There's a lot of talk in our culture about, about unity. We have different words for it. We might call it things like um, inclusion and things like that. But we have a, a, a lot of talk about how we bring t- people together. And, and what you see historically in the church is that the gospel, this, this heart of Jesus, central message of Christ dying for our sins, that had the effect historically of bringing people together, including bringing people together who did not get along before that. The Christianity had a way of breaking down ethnic barriers in the Roman Empire where people were very, very race and tribal focused, and it broke some of that stuff down, and it was like, hey, these people are all together. Um, it, different uh, economic backgrounds, different social groups, all of them came together under the banner of Christ. That is the, the, the power of it early, early on in the church. And while that worked in their ancient Roman Empire, I think it still works today. In this room or, or watching online, You've got different kind of people. Not everybody's the same. Um, you have people from uh, very different upbringings, different economic backgrounds, some ethnic backgrounds. Um, maybe you grew up in a, a Hispanic culture, or a Filipino culture, or something like. You've got people from different backgrounds, and they're and they're coming together. Um, in a space of their own free will, not like work force them to work next to each other in a, in a cubicle, but of your own free will, you're choosing to come together 
uh, from, from different backgrounds, different understandings of the world, um, and, and we're coming together under the G- Jesus banner. And I think what we all have in common is we're all trying to follow Jesus and be his disciple. We use this in, uh, sometimes in premarital counseling. They say, you know, um, a husband and wife and then uh, Jesus. Think of those all at the points of a triangle. You've got Jesus at this point at the top and the husband and wife. As the husband and wife get closer to Jesus in the triangle, they actually end up getting closer to each other. And it's maybe a little cheesy, but it, like, it works, right? As we get closer to Jesus, we are pulling in closer to each other. And while that is true of the church, uh, uh, in marriage, I think it's also true of the church. As we all try to follow Jesus, as he is our, our, our guiding light, our north star, our central focus, as we go towards him, we are growing in commonality and in community with one another. So Jesus is the, the central thing, that hold, the, sort of the glue that holds us all together. And then, and then finally, this, let me read to you, continuing on with verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers. Now, here's where Paul's going to get a little corrective of what they're doing. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Okay, that's tough, and we're going to unpack that over the next couple weeks. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you would say that you're baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And here's the last thing. We must do the work, we must do some work to keep the unity Christ has given. So, Apparently, what's going on in the church of Corinth is people are sort of forming their tribes within the church, and some people are like, well, you know, I just follow what Paul says, and people are like, I follow Cephas, and people are like, I follow what Apollo says, and then there's always that one guy who brings the Jesus juke, who's like, well, I just follow Jesus, y'all, and everyone else is like, well, I mean, yeah, like, but I follow Paul also, you know, like, so, it, so the Jesus guy comes in, right, and says, and, and, and so people were dividing camps based on which particular, mostly, which particular human leader they were following. And Paul's like, I, look, Paul didn't die for your sins. It's, it's about Jesus. It's ultimately all about him. Stop making it about all these other things. And I think, I go, well, that's kind of weird that they would do that. But, but we do it in our culture, too. We have celebrity pastors now. Did you know that's a thing? They're celebrity pastors. I'm not one, but they, they have them. Usually they have better shoes than I have. But they, there's a whole Instagram account for that, too. It's weird out there. Celebrity pastors, the people go, well, you know, I just, I listen to this person, I follow this person, you know, whoever, Stephen Furtick or Matt Chandler or Judah Smith or somebody, you know, it's like, oh, I'm into, I'm into these people. Um, that's a whole subculture of, like, celebrity pastor, and it's weird. It's that same sort of thing, like, well, I follow this person, I follow this person, I follow this person. I understand it. We all want reliable guides in the world. I, 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 get, I, I get that. Um, but, but Paul challenges that, and then he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. Look, some people have said to me, well, see, Paul says baptism's not important. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying baptism's not important. He's saying, I, I, I personally, Paul, did not physically baptize many of you. 
And I'm glad because they were taking baptism so seriously that whoever baptized them, they then considered, well, now I'm a disciple of that guy because he baptized me. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not what that is. No, you are baptized into Christ. You are a disciple of him, period. You're a disciple of, of Christ. And so they were actually valuing baptism incredibly high and making, making in, some, in some cases, they're making too much of it. Any, anybody, the truth is anybody here could baptize someone. Um, the goal I would have as a, as a minister in this church and as anyone in this church, I would say the goal is not that you follow me. The goal is that we, we follow Christ together. And if I can point you there and you can point me there and we can work together, uh, that's, that's what we're trying, we're trying to do. Um, so Christ bringing us together is his work. It's what he does. Uh, he is the glue that brings disparate groups all together in, in the same family. Um, staying together is our work. If coming together is his work. Staying together is our work. I, I think maybe we could think of it best like a family. Um, maybe that's the dominant model in the New Testament is that the church is, is like a family. And in a family, you're going to have disagreements. You have disagreements with your family members. They may be flesh and blood and you share DNA, but you're going to have some disagreements, but you're going to work together and you're going to stay together because you're a family. These are, in a sense, these are my own people. Um, but what you see in the New Testament is that the church is also a family. And Jesus talks about it in that way, that we are to be a family. And, and we come together, we share blood. We share Jesus' blood, not just, you know, the blood type in a family. We share Jesus' blood because of him dying on the cross. We are all in family together. And the, script, the model the scripture says is we are adopted. Jesus is the biological child. We are adopted into that family together. That's, that's, that's who we are. That's, what, that's where we are. We've been adopted in. It is our responsibility, though, to do some work to keep that unity. Two quick thoughts to keep on how to keep unity, and then we're done. And there's a ton of these I could probably give, because I was trying to think of, like, how do we keep unity in the church, in the community? How do we stick together? How do we hold it together? Um, a lot of these, some of these you'd probably know from business context or, or other things. Um, here's, here's two quick ones. Number one, in the church, and you could do this outside the church too, of course, but in the church, let's assume positive intent. If somebody says something, assume they mean it well. If somebody challenges something, assume it's coming from a good place. If someone makes a change in the church about a process or a system or a group or whatever, assume they're not trying to ruin your life. They're not trying to screw up everything and get it wrong. They're trying to get it right. They're trying to do it well, to do it better. Assume positive intent. It, if we had done that well for the past five years, uh, it, it would be a very different thing because I, I see areas that there have been misunderstandings, areas I have misunderstood, other people have misunderstood other people, and, and, and what would have been great is had we assumed a positive intent for people. That actually helps us to stay uh, together, give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, it, that, that, would be, that would be great. So number one, assume positive intent, and the second one would be um, before people, before people that are that are that are your, around, be be the biggest cheerleader of everyone in this community. Oh man, I want them to grow. Don't compare them to yourself. Oh, I'm not as good as them. I'm better than them. That's awful. The only person you compare yourself to is yourself and Jesus. Like I'm following him. 
and I'm better than I used to be. I'm not better than you, I'm just better than I used to be. That's it. It stops there. Um, but, but before other people. Uh, Topher was asked on our staff, um, I, I think the people who work at this church, um, I, I really love them. And I love uh, their families. I love what we have here. And uh, Topher was asked, and he, he relayed this to me the other day. He was asked by someone like, what, what, what is the dynamic like of the staff at Area 10? And he said, um, we are for each other. And I think that's right. And I love it. And I love to be a part of it. Uh, it's not that we don't challenge each other. It's not that we don't disagree, because we do. Um, but, but we're for each other. We're in each other's corner. We want each other to succeed. And so assume positive intent in the church to keep unity and be for each other. Uh, it's huge. And then finally, uh, one of the reasons we have elders in a church is to help keep the unity of the body. Um, in the New Testament, you see the appointing, uh, you see it um, in various spots in the scripture that God said, find some faithful men and ask them to be elders. If you, if you were going to say um, a family model of the church, then the elders are like dads, right, in, in this scenario. Find these faithful men and appoint them to be elders. And, and their role is to love and serve and pray for and shepherd the body and care for it and to protect the unity and the doctrine of the church, to make sure that we don't go off the rails, that I as a minister here don't go off the rails, that the church uh, stays on course. And that is the function of, of elders. It is, it is, a, it is a, a group that supports the church and, and prays for and cares for the church and challenges. Um, I have had situations in, in, in years past at the church where elders pulled me aside and said, nope, not right, not a good idea. Don't say that, and you shouldn't have said that. Because I talk a lot. And sometimes, you know, I have, I have people like, I don't like that thing you said in the sermon. I'm like, if you've been at our church since the beginning, I've probably spoken 500 hours to you. Something in there you didn't like. I'm sure of it. Like, I've, I've said a lot of things. You've heard me say a lot of things. But I've had elders pull me aside, and, you know, we've done a retreat, and they said, Chris, you need, to, you need to look at these areas of your life because I need to be accountable to people. That's a healthy thing that, that we can call each other out. That we, that that's, that's how the community grows. And so this is part of the function of elders. Today we are going to ordain two new elders at Area 10. We've talked to the Area 10 partners. They gave recommendations. We went through a training process with the elders, um, and, and we are bringing them for you today, um, Ken Winter and Harrison Jones, to be ordained as elders here. And as part of their role is to keep the unity of the body. And it is so needed in the world today. It's needed in the church that we will, that we will work together and, and hold the, the, the family together. Um, it was needed in the church in Corinth because very quickly they started blowing apart. And it's very much needed in the American church. I, for all its flaws, for all the challenges of church life in America, I still believe in it. I believe in what we're doing but I believe even more in who Jesus is and what his idea was and what God is doing in this community. And um, there aren't 
not everything's a hill to die on, but that's one I'm, I'm, I'm willing. That's one I'm willing to fight for, that God is still at work, and he's at work here, and we need to do our work to keep the unity that God has put in place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, being the glue that holds us together, that sustains us, that gives us life, that gives us hope, that gives us a future, that changes us, that sanctifies us from the inside out. I thank you for the example of the church in Corinth who struggled pretty quickly um, and that Paul wrote that down so that we can get into it and look at it and see the parallels for our culture today. Um, God, as we um, take communion here in a moment, I pray we remember that it is through your blood on the cross that we are unified. Um, And as we ordain elders today, um, I pray that this is a a strong thing for our church, that it helps the church to stay together and and to really come together and and stay on track theologically and and, uh, with our beliefs and, and, and the practices so that we can reach a world that is in need of hope. Um, In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.